This is an ABC podcast. Okay, so what we have to do now is dig all this up and put in the wicking beds for the vegetables and... uh, Well, they weren't too bad. We got some spinach and lots of basil. Yeah, yeah. Tomatoes were a bit of a disaster. So does this mean I won't be able to spend as much time on the couch? No, you won't be able to spend any time on the couch when we're doing this. I'm sorry. Don't be fooled by the gardening. Tom and Eurydice are two of the many unretired Australians. My name's Tom. I'm a former journalist and radio producer and a recovering academic, and I retired at the end of 2020. My name's Eurydice. I'm a retired academic and uh, broadcaster, and I retired in 2020 as well. They're part of a trend we've seen in Australia over the last three years of people reigniting their careers in retirement. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Working Life, part one of a two-part special. While you might be dreaming right now about the day you can clock off work forever, why are we instead seeing so many people leaving the green and reopening the laptop? Today the great unretirement. What is it exactly and who are the people getting back into work when they're meant to have their feet up? Oh, I think I was ready for a change. I was ready for what my friend Clint calls the third act. Yeah, look, I was really looking forward to retirement. I wanted to do different things. I think I wanted to live more of a contemplative life. And I also had this novel that I'd been working on for 10 years. And I thought, oh, great, I'll be able to finish the novel and uh, write sonnets, all that sort of thing. I finished the novel and then I got really depressed I was staring into the existential void and thinking, who the hell am I now? I was looking forward to retirement, but then Tom got depressed. So everything kind of went up in the air for a while. We went down the south coast for a couple of weeks to get out of town. We'd also been kind of toying with the idea of maybe moving out of Sydney for a quieter life. And while we were down there, the Glasgow Cop Summit happened and... We were both following it and thinking about it, and it really hit us pretty hard. I'd been working on and thinking about climate change for about 10 years as a journalist and an academic, but it really made me question, what am I going to do now? How can I contribute? Because I I didn't feel that I could walk away from all that work that I'd been doing on climate change. We were both very moved by what was going on in Glasgow and uh, for me, I decided to to look around and see what I could do. I really felt that I couldn't just abandon the next generation and uh, just go into a comfortable retirement. I, I needed to do something. We'll hear more from Tom and Eurydice later and what they're doing in their unretirement now. So what are the numbers behind this trend? Terry Ronsley has been analysing the data. I'm Terry Ronsley. I'm an urban economist at KPMG Australia. So in the last three years, something's happened in our workforce and those aged 55 and over have re-entered and you've given this trend a name, Terry. What have you called it? So we've dubbed it the great unretirement as we've seen people who previously were outside the labour force and that 55 plus age group come back in. And can you give me an idea of the numbers behind this trend? What percentage of people who entered the workforce in the last three years were over the age of 55, Terry? 
Yeah, so since the onset of COVID, the Australian labour market's added about half a million workers roughly, and about a third of those have been in this age 55 plus age group. So quite a remarkable percentage. That's extraordinary. It is. And are these people, do you know if these people are doing the same jobs or are they doing different jobs, Terry? Yeah, it's a bit hard to tell with the exact data about what's going on, but we can definitely see that the labour force participation rate for people 55 plus, you know, 60 to 64 and above, they've increased. So this is telling us that people who were previously outside the labour force are coming back in. And whether they're coming back into the same industry they worked in before they kind of previously retired, or are they coming in and doing something completely different? Have they done, you know, 25 years in a white collar job, paid off the mortgage, financially secure, and now come back in and doing something of a, a passion project for themselves? And what have we seen in relation to then the retirement age? Yeah, so for both men and women, you know, the retirement age is sort of at the highest level since the early 70s. So for men, we're at sort of 66.2 years. And for women, um, we're sort of almost at 65. So very high levels. And in terms of who these workers are and what types of jobs they're taking up, what can you share with us in terms of insights? What's sort of driven this you know, increase of a couple of years since the pandemic is, is really a very tight labour market. So without international migration to sort of feed labour market growth, older work has been drawn in across a whole wide range of industries. But sort of digging a bit deeper into the data, it looks like it's probably sort of white-collar workers who are working part-time. So rather than coming back working five days a week, people working a couple of days a week, grabbing the laptop out, helping out maybe their former employer who's struggling to find people to fill jobs and even working flexibly maybe a day or two down the coast as they kind of have a, a semi-retirement lifestyle. And, and what's underpinning all of this? So when we're talking about white-collar workers and part-time, is it that idea of flexibility? Absolutely. And and what we've, you know, in past generations, retirement was kind of like worked in that industrial sector. You got to the age of 65, you had a little party, had a cake and everyone's saying happy <laughs> retirement to you and off you went and then you were retired. What we're seeing now is it's a much more sort of dynamic transition where people kind of retire from full-time work at sort of, you know, 62, they're in the sort of part-time workforce for another five years and then transition out. And you also have people who kind of retire for a year, there's only so many rounds of golf that they can play before they kind of get bored <laughs> and they come back into the labour force. So, this, this sort of dynamic transition is what we're seeing as people want the flexibility, they're engaging the labour force, you know, for either intellectual stimulation, they enjoy the career that they've had, they like to sort of see their co-workers on a regular basis or maybe they've kind of flipped careers and are pursuing this passion project. And what role do you think the skills shortage has played, Terry? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just without workers coming in via international migration, older people have been able to be work with employers to find the role that sort of suits them. So, just the tight labour markets meant that previously, you know, employers might have been going, oh, I would like one worker working five days a week to fulfil this role. In a tight labour market, they can't find that. So, they're happy to get someone maybe working two days a week here and two days a week there to fill it. And older people kind of really fit that bill, wanting to not work five days a week, but happy to still maintain an engagement with their employer. What about geography? What have you noticed in terms of the numbers and geography? What we've kind of seen is that prior to COVID coming along, there was kind of a bigger spread in the age of retirement across the major capital cities. And that's because each city had kind of its own unique economic trends coming along. So previously, people, men and women, 
in Greater Sydney were retiring a touch earlier than the major capital cities. And now they've sort of seen the biggest increase. So the average age of retirement for a male in Sydney is up sort of 1.3 years, a woman about half a year to one year. And this is kind of reflecting that Sydney being the biggest cluster of sort of white collar workers in the country, this sort of great unretirement in that white collar sector is playing out. So does it make a difference if people go into retirement willingly? I think something that's been really underappreciated in this narrative about the great unretirement is about how many people retire involuntarily. That's Joey Maloney from the Grattan Institute. About half of retirees retire involuntarily. Being able to choose when you retire or choose to wind down work at your leisurely pace is actually a privilege that's afforded to people with higher wealth and higher education levels. It's typically white-collar workers that can choose how long they'll keep working. For a lot of workers out there, this is a decision that is thrust upon them. The key reason that people are forced into a retirement earlier than they might want to is because of ill health. For example, blue-collar workers make up about 30% of the labour force, but about 60% of workplace injuries that typically force people into an early retirement. Another reason is caring responsibilities. That overwhelmingly affects women more than men, and it's a big reason why women on average retire three years earlier than men. And another key reason is just job-related issues, which I think a big driver of that is age discrimination in the labour market. Older unemployed or underemployed people tend to be stuck that way for longer and tend to become discouraged and end up just leaving the labour force earlier than they wanted to altogether. It's a very sort of complex story because everyone's individual circumstances are different. That's Terry Rawnsley again. The Bureau of Statistics runs a bit of a survey for people who had retired and they asked them, like, what was the motivator? And interestingly, only about 40-ish percent, a bit less, kind of reported, I retired because I reached the pension age or I reached the retirement age. So there's another 60% of people who are retiring for reasons unrelated to that sort of accessing your super or your pension. This is where there's lots of different cohorts who are people who are just, you know, fit and healthy, enjoy the work they're doing, want to maintain in the labor force and keep on working away. And we looked at people who had a higher degree. So they've got a a master's degree or a PhD and they were retiring at 67 years. And the number that kind of even surprised me is that about one third of that cohort are still in the labor force post age 65, whether these are people doing a few days a week or their business owners, but just a lot of people with those higher degrees uh, in the labor force and contrasting with someone who's maybe just got a, a high school education, only about, I think, 11% of those people aged over 65 were participating. So, this, this clear white collar cohort are the ones driving the longer retirement age. You know, there is a trend that generally we're living longer. Does that play a part here as well, Terry? Yeah. And, you know, in the late 70s for men, life expectancy once you'd retired was about six or seven years. So, a very different kind of dynamic. Whereas now you're kind of looking at a retirement period of 20 or 25 years. And this is where it's kind of feeding into people's sort of desire to keep active, keep intellectually stimulated. And people are going, well, look, I'm fit and healthy. I'm not working in a physically demanding job. I'm just pulling the laptop out and working away on that. So I can keep on working and there's that flexibility that I don't have to do the the daily grind five days a week. Remote working meant that I don't have to fight the traffic to get into the office every day. I can sort of dial in remotely and it's all just made 
people's ability to maintain contact with the labour force so much easier. The trends that we're seeing in Australia, are you seeing them being reflected in other places like the UK and the US? Yeah, it's interesting. Last year, we did an OECD comparison of where Australia sat and Australia kind of sat in the middle of the rankings. So, we were about the 65-ish age group. At the top of the list were places like South Korea and Japan, which are in their 70s. Even New Zealand was sort of in 67, 68-ish age of retirement. And then at the other end, you sort of had your Italy's and Spain's at sort of 60, 62, and the French were in there as well. So, Across the world, there's this shift towards a later retirement. And in some of those European countries, there's been you know, quite a lot of tension about the pension age increasing recently. So, French workers are out rioting and protesting as we speak because they're trying to push the retirement age. And this is all reflecting that increased longevity means that we're not facing a retirement of five years, we're facing a retirement of 25 years. But everywhere with a longer life expectancy, more people working in less strenuously physically demanding jobs, the age of retirement is ticking up more and more. An example of this trend happening overseas is in America, where Ted Barr lives. Hi, I'm Ted Barr, and I'm the owner of the Barr Gallery in Oyster Bay, New York. He now calls himself semi-retired. Coming from a corporate background, he's now fully embraced what he calls his second career. And if you asked him decades ago if he'd fulfill an artistic dream he's had since his 20s... Let's just say that I had absolutely no idea that I would ever end up in this place. I lived in San Francisco when I was in my early 20s and I fell in love with the late 60s ethos, the whole hippie ideal and the uh, music and the posters and everything that went along with it. So I collected some of these psychedelic posters from the 1960s. And then I got married and got involved in corporate computer magazine advertising sales. And I had three kids and basically all that collecting went on hiatus. But it was always in the back of my mind. And after 15 years in San Francisco, corporate, I was on a board of directors. I was running 350 people, a big corporate job. I moved to New York and then decided to quit and start my own company. And after a dozen years or so, we moved to large offices. And one day I realized that these offices had lots of empty wall space and I could start collecting these posters that I loved again. So I started doing that and I didn't really stop. And I built a museum inside my my company, uh, which was producing conferences and trade shows in high tech. That was a bit of a gem of an idea, but I still had no idea what I would be doing. Two years later, I sold the business and I had these 45 frame posters that were no longer uh, having a place to hang. And my wife said, they're not coming home. So she said, maybe why don't you start an art gallery? I think it's kind of a joke. And but I started thinking, well, wow, that's not such a bad idea. As time went on, I fell more and more in love with the idea of what I was in effect doing, which was I had become the only art gallery in the country and maybe the world that specialized in late 1960s psychedelic rock posters. I wanted to do something where I could be free to be semi-retired. And that's often the way I describe myself. Semi-retired with a passionate hobby that happens to be run like a business, I suppose. I have a lot of friends who are getting heavily involved in nonprofits or otherwise starting their own enterprise. And they're living their dream as well. I have a friend down the street here in Oyster Bay 
named Steve Israel, who was a congressman in the United States House of Representatives for 17 years, and he just opened a bookstore. I think one of the nice things about the retirement job is being in a situation where you can choose to do what you like to do and reject the things that you don't like to do. I have to think that in some ways I lucked into the best career anyone could have because this is my hobby. This is my passion. And I probably am putting in 55 hours a week, but none of it feels like work. So I can't really think of anything I'd rather do. Do you think that this trend of unretirement, this idea of choice and freedom to potentially choose a new career that is about meaning this time rather than money making for this older generation? What are your thoughts on that, Terry? I think absolutely that's that's what's driving it. And if you are if you have been in the workforce for 35 years and you're still working, it's unlikely you're doing it in a job that you hate or despise. You know, it is probably about this interaction, this challenge and, you know, in a tight labor market, you can kind of go looking for the job that suits you the best. And that job might not be the the highest paying job, but a job that you kind of gain that intellectual stimulation, that sort of alignment to your values. And I think we see that in a younger generation, but also this older generation in that white collar sector is coming through going, I want something meaningful to keep me going. You know, it's not a huge money earner for me because I don't need that income flow desperately. But it's keeping me busy. It's it's stimulating work. If it is that passion kind of project that people have taken up, it's something they've enjoyed and they've wanted to do for 20 years, but they've had to pay the mortgage off first before they can get into this passion project. I'm getting the vibe here that it's about choice and freedom and flexibility, but to what extent might it actually be driven by the cost of living going up and people thinking, gosh, you know what, I actually have to work longer here. Yeah, and, and a very, you know, uh, topical question given interest rate rises and cost of living pressures over the last sort of 12 months. But curiously, like a lot of this kind of kicked off the, the year before that when the labour market kind of tightened. And when we look back previously through previous ups and downs in economic activity, it's really when the labour market gets tight is when you get these workers who are looking for flexibility and employers are looking for flexibility. They're the ones coming back in. And another thing, just thinking about that cohort I described before, older people, white-collar workers in their 60s, they're the people who have paid off the mortgage, the kids have moved out of home, high levels of disposable income. So, they're the ones who are probably less in tune to those cost of living pressures opposed to someone, you know, in their 40s, large mortgage, you know, the two kids still at home. So, cost of living is probably playing a role in, in some cohorts, but at the moment, these older groups are probably the ones who are probably feeling the pinches of interest rate rises especially, much less. Let's return now to Tom and Eurydice in their Sydney garden and hear how they turn their eco-anxiety in their retirement into action in their unretirement. I needed to find a gang, a new gang to hang out with for my climate activism. So uh, I looked around, I, I, I sort of put my toe in the water with Blockade Australia and um, Extinction Rebellion. But finally, um, I settled on the Knitting Nanas. We are contributing to change. Research says that change requires 25 to 30% of a population to push the rest of the world into a tipping point. And we want to we want that tipping point to be an awareness of how important the climate and environment is to us and the sort of changes that we need to make. 
what I'm doing day to day in my retirement is kind of drawing on my my past professional experience. So with the Knitting Nanas, I'm um, helping to develop their social media profile, uh, taking photos at events, doing the things that, that I feel confident about and helping to make sure that other people in the group are confident with those skills as well. So it's very enjoyable. I would much rather be doing that than playing golf or playing bridge, although I don't look down on those things. That wouldn't be enough for me. One of the things my GP said to me was, mm, you've been in institutions for 30 years, working in institutions, I think you need a bit of structure. So I did kind of deliberately give myself that with you know, a lot of meditation and exercise and all that sort of thing. But the other thing was that I, I took a decision, okay, I really want to contribute in some way to climate action. And I talked to a lot of people and what they said to me was, use the skills that you've got. You're a journalist. There are a whole lot of stories out there that need telling. So no, I've gone back to journalism. I've been lucky enough to um, have some pieces commissioned by the Saturday papers. So I guess I spent a lot of time thinking about climate change and, you know, following what's going on and, you know, working on those stories. But I have gone back to the novel, writing a sequence of poems about the Cooks River where we live. Um, we do a lot of gardening, we do a lot of walking, um, we go do a lot of walking by get on a train or a ferry in Sydney and discover the city that way. So you know, life is pretty good, really. That feeling Tom felt before he unretired is felt by many people. Absolutely, and I remember that from my own mother. That's academic and author Debbie Haskey Leventhal. And it was very scary for her to step out. She had to because she had early set dementia, so she had to stop working. And she said, what am I going to do? What will get me out of the bed in the morning? How do I even define myself? You know, we always define ourselves, our identity with our job. So losing that could imply for many people the fear of losing our identity. And that is just as scary. That is just the same sense of a beast that, you know, what am I going to walk on? What am I going to do with my life? And there are many happy retirees that found a renewed sense of purpose in their retirement, but they had to prepare for that. They had to plan for that and they had to apply the same ideas about finding meaningfulness at work to finding meaningfulness in retirement. This is what we'll be exploring next episode in part two in The Meaningful Unretirement. And we'll hear more from Debbie, who's written a book about finding meaning in life. One of the things that I really love discovering when I wrote the book was the meaning of the word authenticity, which meant worthy of acceptance. Because oftentimes we think about, you know, being authentic, being your real self, bringing your whole self to work and to your meaningful relationships. But to feel worthy of acceptance in life, in work, and in retirement is pretty big. To this unretirement, I think it's people claiming that they're worthy of acceptance. Because when we tell people you need to retire, we tell them you are not worthy of your job anymore. You can't perform it. You are too old for us. Please just step aside and let younger people do that work. By unretiring, this whole generation is claiming back their worthiness of being accepted, 
No one can tell you that you are no longer worthy of working, of delivering your talents and skills. We are reclaiming our ability to do something meaningful with our lives. That's next time on This Working Life. I'm Lisa Leong. Thanks to sound engineer Matthew Crawford and to producer Zoe Ferguson, who can see herself making podcasts well into her retirement years. If this episode brought up anything for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. This Working Life is made on the lands of the Bidjigal people of the Darug Nation and the Wiradjuri people of the Kulin Nation. Yeah, I'll definitely be, you know, continuing on. I was thinking, you know, retirement radio. I'll I'll be in retirement homes just basically doing my radio show. (laughs) You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.